The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's been, as always, a fantastic week in technology. You know, Apple finally released their latest version of the iOS 14.5, and this is where they were going to protect privacy. And, of course, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook was having a conniption fit because that was going to affect their ad revenue. And now the data's in. 96% of the people want to protect their privacy and keep Facebook from getting at their data. If this continues, it's going to have an impact on on um, on targeted advertising. Uh, I'm going to review this week a um, a website, a, an application that I talked about earlier, but I think it is really useful to know about this. What three words? It's another way to identify your location within a, a square, a three meter square. Oh yeah. It is real. I've been using this thing, and now that I've used it, I just really appreciate it. And I want to just go back and tell you how to use it because it's a fantastic that, tool. That was a fun, uh, yeah, discussion. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're trying to meet somebody at, uh, you know, at at a big venue. How do you tell them exactly where you are within a three meter square? <laughs> because there's no address. Right. Exactly. Now. Uh, we're going to all we're going to be talking about cryptocurrencies, Ethereum in particular. I'm going to feature uh, Viva Vivalik Buterin, the uh, the guy who uh, uh, created the Ethereum. But then I'm going to talk a bit about what is Ethereum, how does it work, and for those of you that want to get in the action, I'm going to give you five applications where you can trade your own cryptocurrencies right online. I'm not going to be advocating this. This is high risk. I'll explain the risk the difference between intrinsic value and extrinsic value. But, you know, if you got some mad money, you could have fun with it. <laughs> like if you would have put $10,000 on Ethereum back in August of 2015, you would now be sitting on top of $41 million. Wow. So sometimes mad money pays off. The government is striking back at the Kremlin for the... Solar winds hack. I'll try to get to that this uh, this uh, this week. We we did we we didn't get to it last week, and uh, the um, and also the um, yeah. And this this week we're going to feature uh, Vivatech uh, Buderan, the uh, the man who started uh, Ethereum. And of course, it was a huge huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email. Oh, wait, I've got a Facebook post from Steve. Ah, okay. On Facebook, he said, good evening. I guess he posted it was in, in the evening. I just wanted to let you guys know what a great radio show you have, Steve. Got him fooled. 
Uh, well, thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening. You know, you know, yeah. Well, you know, we we can. Uh, well, maybe he's only listened to a few of the shows, but uh, or he certainly loved what, loved what he did here. He caught us on a good day. He must have. We got a, we got another. Fa- I went to Facebook. I don't I don't go to the Facebook page all the time. There was another Facebook post from Eric McDonald. I need some customer service help, like we're a computer repair store. My computer when powered on for the first time each day, will freeze after about 10 to 15 minutes. But then, and then I have to reboot it, and after I reboot it, it runs fine. What's, it's a problem I can endure, but I'd rather see if I could fix it, figure out what's wrong. Thanks, Eric McDonald. Well, a computer freeze is, can be a problem. You lose wake if, you can lose work if you have a computer freeze, for instance. And one or two computer freezes, uh, Usually don't indicate any kind of underlying problem, but if you've got a, a computer that freezes the same time every day, day in and day out, there might be an underlying problem. Um, so there are a few things you can check for. I'll just go down the list. You can check for viruses, do a virus scan, also do an anti-malware scan because frequently uh, poorly written malware, poorly written computer viruses will cause a, a computer to crash and you want to check that first. Second thing you may want to, it could be software that you're using. If, you, if you're using the same piece of software every day, like you boot it up and open up the same piece of software, uh, maybe there's a glitch in the software. So simply change what software you're using, uh, or maybe don't use any software at all and see whether it still freezes up. And if the problem goes away, then it's not software. The, the third thing you can check, I'm checking all on the software side first. You check for errors. Now, Windows keeps a log of all the errors that it encounters, and you and they have this in what they call the event viewer. So just down that little search box, the lower left-hand corner, just type event viewer, and, and it will find the event viewer app. Click on the event viewer app, open it up, and there's something called window logs. And what you want to do, you want to look for window logs for the system and window logs for applications. There are five window logs that they maintain, and two of them. One of them is a system log, and one's an application log. And you look for errors that occurred around the time that the computer froze. And that will give you a hint as to what program is failing within, within Windows at the time. And it could be a clue that it's a device driver. I, I don't know what it would be, but that's a clue that you can be, begin your diagnostics on. Uh, you'll, you also want to update your system. Make certain your system's updated. I, I suspect this is not your problem. Make certain that you've updated. You've got all the latest device drivers, the latest operating system. You've got, you've got the latest version of everything. Finally, we've got hardware problems. Hardware problems are the tricky, hardest ones to find. Uh, I mean, if you've got this kind of problem, you can swap out different pieces of hardware and see if it goes away. But that means you've got to have spare parts. Uh, and so you can swap out a piece and see whether it goes away, swap out another piece, see if it goes away. And then you'll eventually find what hardware uh, problem occur- is, is occurring. There's also another thing that it could be. Your computer could be overheating. You know, all these computers, they have fans in them and filters. And over time, you, you just get a lot of dust in the filter and in the fan. So I would suggest uh, you take your computer and uh, open it up. You didn't tell me if it was a desktop or a laptop. If it's a desktop, you can take the cover off, and I would uh, vacuum. You know, you get these little tiny vacuums. I'd vacuum out the uh, the all of the dust. So you wouldn't take there's, the. There's uh, a lot of dust inside these things, actually. You wouldn't take the Hoover and put it up on the um, 
No. No. Not the big one. No, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take anything that big. Or or you could take one of these little air air bottles and, you know, blow it off. That's a great but, idea. But 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 you want to get the get the dust out of it. Even even laptops can get dust there. There's there's a fan in the bottom. And then so that's pretty much it. So those that's that's the hardware lineup, the software lineup, and the best of luck, uh, Eric, in finding your problem. We got an email. We got another uh, Facebook post from Ken Hutchinson. Ken also sends emails occasionally, but I <clears throat> I guess he decided to post on Facebook this time. I've got a WordPress web page, uh, <clears throat> and I'm thinking that uh, that it's got malware, and I'm worried that the malware from the web page is going to affect my my personal computer. How can I find out if my site has malware or if my computer has malware? Ken and Ken Hutchinson. Well, <clears throat> Ken, there's nothing worse than getting uh, malware on your WordPress website, and um, and there's a lot of a lot of uh, bad actors that target WordPress because WordPress is used on so so many websites. So <clears throat> first of all, you want to check whether there's malware on your website, and there's really a great program that will scan the URL. It's called Virus Total. You go to Virus Total dot org and uh, and you can uh, and you can clean your uh, clean your website uh, what you do is you go to virustotal.com i mean virustotal.com and you put in you say i want to scan a url you can also scan a file by the way you say i want to scan a url it gives you a place then you type in the url of your website and it will go to your website and it will scan it with 60 different programs to see if there's a virus. It really is quite effective. It's highly recommended. It's free. So that's the first step. Now, the second step is that uh, you, uh, you may want to, um, if, it, if you have a virus, you want to clean your site. Now, there's a service called Sucuri, S-U-C-U-R-I. They do an excellent job of cleaning WordPress sites. They're known for it. But <clears throat> what I like about them is they have a how-to section on their site if you want to try to do it yourself. And it's very detailed. And you could go through the instructions on their site and you could clean it yourself. And then if you decide that's just too much work, they'll do it for you. That's sucuri.com, S-U-C-U-R-I. It's an excellent site. And the service is very, very highly recommended. Then finally, uh, once you've got your site clean, you're going to want to have a plugin that's going to protect your site on an ongoing basis and always scan for things. And there's a, you need a WordPress security plug-in. I'd recommend WordFence, W-O-R-D-F-E-N-C-E, WordFence. It's got over 4 million active users and is very, very highly recommended. It has, of all of the security plug-in, it has the most users. So I would recommend WordFence uh, as your option. And so, uh, Ken, best of luck cleaning up your WordPress website. We got an email from Alan in Kansas City. I downloaded a photo last night with Chrome, and while retrieving it from the download folder, I noticed there was a file named setup.exe. Now, I've not downloaded any software program for well over a year, so I don't know how that file got in there. Do you think it might be a virus? Now, I ran a scan with Bitdefender, and, it, and my system came up clean, but I'm still thinking it may be a virus. Uh, what do you think? Uh, how can I safely remove this? Any uh, file, that, Alan. 
Huh? Any file that ends in a .exe, you've got to be very careful with, don't you? That's right. That means executable. It's an executable file, .exe, and executable files can, in fact, you know, do things and install things. And um, sometimes they're bad so, things. Yeah. So, well, actually, um, Alan, since since you haven't downloaded any software in the last year or so, chances are that setup .exe could be a virus. So. Uh, what what I would do is um, I would scan to see whether that file is uh, is actually a virus. And here's the beauty. I'm going to recommend going back to the very same site, VirusTotal, VirusTotal.com. And you go there. Remember before I said you're going to scan a URL. This time you're going to say I'm going to scan a file. So you click scan a file and then they'll say choose the file. And, and you'll open up uh, a, a window on your computer and you'll navigate to the file, to the .exe file that you want to scan and then select it. And then it will scan that file with 60 different, um, 60 different uh, virus scan, malware scans to see if it is, uh, if it is, um, you know, it is a bad file. And I think that, that that's really going to give you a very excellent result. Now, if it's not, uh, if it's, if the result you get back that it's not uh, a, um, uh, malware or a virus, just delete it and you're good to go. Now, if it, if it comes back that it is malware or a virus, you're going to want to delete it. And then after you delete it, you're going to want to scan your system again. You've got Bitdefender, so scan with Bitdefender, make certain you're still clean. And then I'd pick a, I'd get a second opinion, you know, sort of like getting a second opinion from the doctor. So I'd download malwarebytes uh, at malwarebytes.com. Uh, uh, and it's, a, it's free. Uh, I like it. It's free. And, uh, and I would scan with uh, malware bytes. And if, and if both malware bytes and Bitdefender show your system clean, I'd say you are good to go. We got an email from Grover in Whitestone. Uh, uh, Dear Doc and Jim, I've got a Comcast internet plan, and I'm supposed to get 200 megabits per second download speed. Now, I listened to your show, and you talked about using speedtest.net to check your speed. Well, I do that with my computer, and I'm only getting 65 megabits per second. Now, I called, and I, I, can, I never get above that. I called Comcast, and they said, well, they ran a, a system check on my, on my line, and they said, I'm getting, I'm getting what I paid for. But I can't get more than 65 megabits per second. Am I doing something wrong, or is Comcast just lying? Grover from Whitestone, Virginia. Well, uh, Grover, checking your internet download speed and upload speed, it can be tricky. Because you didn't mention how many computers you have on the line or other devices that you're using. Now, see, if you've got multiple devices on the, the, your connection, you're, they're all sharing that 200 megabits per second. So if somebody in the house is watching a Netflix movie or somebody's watching a YouTube video, uh, they're all going to get a portion of that 200 megabits per second. Uh, and so what you want to do, you want to disconnect all the other devices from the, from the Internet except the one that you're checking the speed on. So, I mean, I've got the same problem. If, if I run a, a speed check at my house, I always get less than the max speed. I, mean, I got I got three TVs, two iPhones, two computers, and more stuff on the internet. So my bandwidth is shared among many, many devices. So you want to get rid of all these extra devices and just run it with one device on to see what speed you're getting. Uh, I suspect that you're going to probably get the full 200 megabit per second since Comcast made that same measurement. But if you don't get it, Call up Comcast and have them send out a tech to find out what's wrong. We got an email from Azra in Fredericksburg. Dear Tech Talk, I've been taking some great videos 
recently with my iPhone, and I've been able to edit them and add a title page and music using iMovie. I love being a producer. Now, I'd like to send my movies to friends, but they're too large to send them as email attachments. What's my best option, Azra in Fredericksburg? Well, Azra, uh, I mean, movies are big. You know, if you're making big guy movies, they are big. Now, the uh, the good news is you are on, um, you're on, you have an iPhone, and I would hope that you are backing up all of your files to the iCloud because if you've got movies, you don't want to lose them in case you lose your iPhone. And I, and I suspect you do have enough storage on your iCloud account to, uh, you know, to to have all your movies backed up. So, uh, and if you aren't using iCloud, aren't backing up to iCloud, I, su- I, susp- I recommend that you pay the $1.99 a month and, and activate additional memory in your iCloud for all your movies. Now, the beauty is once it's on the iCloud, you can simply share an iCloud link and you can send that link to anybody. And so anybody can watch your movie from your iCloud location. And that could be with an Android phone, an iPhone, any kind of phone, because you're just sending a link. So what you want to do is you go to open up your photos and then you go to the the um, movie that you want to share. And down in the lower left-hand corner, there will be a little share button. It's like a little rectangle with an arrow coming out of it. That's the sh- Click on that. Then you scroll down. There will be a menu that comes up. And you could, you know, I mean, it says share it by iMessage. It gives you different ways to share it. Share it by email. But there's one, it's, but there's one that says iCloud link. So you simply press on iCloud link and it will save that iCloud link to your clipboard. So then you can simply open up uh, a text message and paste the, the link into the text message, or you could paste the link into an email and you can send it to anybody. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We will indeed, and it is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, listing southwest of D.C. Tune in on 107.7 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, you can hear us on 104.35 FM. If you are interested in changing careers or just want to learn more about Stratford University, go to Stratford EDU to learn more about their programs and how you can attend. More of Tech Talk in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Vitaly Dmitrievich Buterin. I'll give you um, a B plus there. Uh, Dmitrievich. Yeah. What do you think, Jim? I think that's good. And Andrew's Vitaly Dmitrievich. Andrew now, is our resident linguist, and Andrew's nodding on the other side of the glass. So I think he's he's gone with us. So here we are. Vitaly Dmitrievich was too hard for people to say, so he shortened it to Vitalink. Vitalik. Vitalik. Vitalik Buterin. His Vitalik, nickname is Vitalik. How about Vitalik? Vitalik. I'd say Vitalik is better. Yeah. Vitalik Buterin. This is Vitalik like Ellis Island. This is like this Ellis is like, Island. We'll, we are crowdsourcing our pronunciation, yeah, Jim. <laughs> it's like Ellis Island. We'll change your name for you for what we like it to be. Exactly. So uh-huh. Vitalik Buterin, he's a Russian-Canadian programmer and, and a writer who's best known as co-founder of Ethereum. That's a cryptocurrency. By the way, before I get into this, if yes. you would have purchased Ethereum back in August of 2015 and put down $10,000, today you would have $41 million. Just to say, lost opportunity. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Buterin was born January 31st, 19... That can't be correct. 19... <laughs> no. No. In Kolnomna, 94, 2000... No, that might be right. 1994. Yeah, it, I think you're right. It is. He's, he's a young guy. He's very young. Yeah, he was born... January 31st, 1994, in Kolomna, Russia. Now, he lived in that area until he was six, and his parents moved to Canada because they needed better employment opportunities. You know, Doc, 94 used to seem like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. You know, I graduated from high school in 1981, and that was 40 years ago. Yeah, Time flies, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, I mean, he's 94. So that makes him 34, yeah. So uh, he, he got his first, when he got his first computer, uh, uh, he developed a fascinating with spreadsheets, and he started playing with Microsoft Excel. He turned out to be a really a mathematical whiz. He could just, he was really good at math. He was really too clever for his peers. He was just whizzing way above them. Now, while in, the, uh, in grade three at elementary school, he was placed into a class for gifted children. And he was drawn to mathematics, to programming, to economics. Uh, he attended the Abelard School, which is a private school in Toronto. Uh, at age 17, he learned about Bitcoin from his father. His father was talking about Bit- Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency. And, um, and, uh, and so he, he thought, wow, it was interesting. But he thought, you know, I don't know whether Bitcoin, he, he said it didn't really, to him it didn't make sense at the time. After high school, he attended the University of Waterloo. Waterloo, of course, is the tech hub in uh, in Canada. I would call that water uh, the Waterloo area is equivalent to Silicon Valley. It's the Silicon Valley of Canada. So he attended the University of Waterloo, and there he took advanced courses in cryptology, and he was a research assistant to the 
cryptographer Ian Goldberg. Now, cryptography is all of the uh, methods that they use to encode information so you cannot break the code. And uh, this cryptography is, is sort of central to all of the cryptocurrencies. That's where, the, that's where crypto comes from. Uh, and, uh, and so he was really interested in cryptography. It's very, very, very mathematical. I can see why he was drawn to it. And he began at that time kind of looking at Bitcoin. He says, you know, this Bitcoin's not such a bad idea. He then began to understand the value of the distributed ledger. So in uh, 2011, Buterin began writing for a publication called Bitcoin Weekly. Uh, and some guy told him, he said, look, for every article that you write, I'll give you five Bitcoins. I mean, this was when a Bitcoin was worth like, you know, a nickel. And so, and so he'd get five Bitcoins whenever he would write an article. Bitcoin is now $20,000. So that'd be equivalent in today's money of Bitcoin of getting $100,000 an article. But, um, uh, but he would get five. Oh, no, at that time it was $3.50, not a dollar, $3.50. And so, so he'd get about, you know, about, uh, you know, 15 to $18 to write, uh, to write his article. Now, on September 11th, uh, September 2011, he met a guy by the name of Mahai Alasi, and and he he said, "Look, let's let's get a new uh, magazine about Bitcoin, and I, and you can be co-founder, and you can be the lead writer. We'll call it Bitcoin Magazine." So he started writing about Bitcoin uh, in the Bitcoin Magazine, and it was it was put in print, and the Bitcoin Magazine became the first serious publication about cryptocurrencies. It had wide distributions. And he wrote many, many articles on Bitcoin and why Bitcoin was significant. Now, he also held the position on the editorial board of Ledger, which is a peer-reviewed scholarly journal that publishes full-length original articles on the subjects of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. So he's quite interested in that. And he was uh, going to school. He got a bronze medal in the International Olympiad in informatics. So he was a very, you know, good student working on cryptography. But he actually got sick of school because he said, you know, here I am going to school, taking English, taking humanities to get this degree. And really, all I want to do is work on cryptocurrencies. What do I need a degree for that for? So he dropped out. And he started traveling around the world, meeting other people who had contributed to the open source Bitcoin movement. And, uh, and he started talking with them. And, and as he was going around the world talking to all the Bitcoin enthusiasts and trying to learn, because he, he, he was actually contributing to the Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin code pool because it's open source. And he was talking to people and he began to realize that Bitcoin was extremely limited. You see, when Bitcoin was first uh, proposed, uh, um, you know, back in uh, much earlier, it was really a proof of concept of a, the idea of a distributed ledger where you could have a distributed ledger which could uh, record transactions and those transactions could be validated by uh, people who would do mathematical calculations on the ledger to verify the legitimacy of the new additions. And the people would get paid um, to do those validations. 
and they will get paid in a new type of currency called Bitcoin. And so the Bitcoin was basically the fuel that allowed the engine to move forward. Um, they, these people would basically host the distributed network on their computers. They would do the calculation. So the entire distributed ledger was, uh, was hosted by the so-called miners who would then uh, mine or validate new additions to the ledger. And the ledger was, uh, and the new additions were put on as blocks. So the distributed ledger was called a block chain. Now, this was just a proof of concept. I mean, uh, uh, the the guy who invented it, uh, he just said, look, I want to prove that the distributed ledgers make sense. The real value is the distributed ledger. But all of a sudden, but, but he never really wrote the program to do anything other than spit out Bitcoin. And so it was a proof of concept, but it wasn't something that you could apply to anything real world. And Buterin began to realize that while Bitcoin is an interesting phenomenon as a proof of concept, it's extremely limited. And he felt that what you needed to sit on top of the blockchain was a scripting language so that you could write other applications that could run on top of the distributed ledger and do things um, like, uh, like, like record land sales. Or record, um, or record art transactions, or track an object through a logistics chain. These are all things that you could track with a distributed ledger, but Bitcoin couldn't do it. It, it didn't have a scripting language. And so he went around the world. He started talking to all these Bitcoin guys. He says, look, we need to modify the open source of Bitcoin to include a scripting language. We need to, you know, we need to expand it. He got no interest. None. Everybody was just into mining bitcoins. So he came back from his trip a little bit dis, disenchanted because his his buds, bitcoin buds, just weren't interested. So he wrote a white paper at age 29, at at uh, at at age 19, in 2013. At age 19, yeah, that was 1994, Jim. 2013, he was yep. 19 years old, yep. mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, man, time flies, you know, I, it, you start I, looking at I these know. things. <laughs> We're old, man. Yeah, We're I know old. that. So he wrote a white paper, and he outlined the design of what he called Ethereum. Ethereum. And this was a blockchain, a distributed blockchain, that instead of Bitcoin, they would pay the miners or the validators of the blockchain in Ether. Ether was the cryptocurrency of Ethereum. They would pay them in ether, and uh, and they and they could do things. And so he he wrote the um, he wrote this thing in, from scratch, and he got a he got a group of people together. I mean, he wrote the he wrote the original white paper, and then he got a team of three other guys. They wrote it. They made it open source code, and they released it. And uh, so about that time, now by the way, Ethereum is a very interesting name. I'm, turns out Buterin is a is a science fiction guy. He loved to read science fiction. So he was reading a list of elements that are popular in science fiction. And one of those elements that comes out of science fiction is Ethereum. He saw that list on, uh, it was on a list in Wikipedia. So he said, yeah, Ethereum, I like that. The other thing he liked about Ethereum is that it's based on the word ether. And ether, of course, is that magical gas 
that allows light to travel at a constant speed within the universe. I mean, when they were trying to, before they knew that we had relativity, they were trying to explain the experimental results by postulating this ether. Well, the ether really didn't exist. So we're thinking ether, that's like you can move money around the world through this ether. So he just liked the name for multiple reasons, but the real reason was it was an element in science fiction, Ethereum. Now, he, was, he thought, well, should I go back to school? And about that time, uh, the, the, he got a Thiel Fellowship. Now, Thiel um, is one of the, uh, one of the PayPal mafia, and, and he awards $100,000 to young entrepreneurs. He says, look, you're better off working on your project you have passion for. Use my $100,000. If you go back to school, it's a waste of time. So he basically pays people to keep from going back to school and work on the project they love. So he got a $100,000 grant from Thiel got the Thiel Fellowship. Those are very prestigious, actually. And he started working full-time on Ethereum, much to the dismay of his parents, who wanted him to become a very respectable son and get a degree. They could brag about it to their friends. But he became instead a dropout from University of Waterloo, which was a, a very prestigious school in Canada. So he started working full-time on Ethereum. Now, Ethereum, unlike Bitcoin, is not created to just be digital money. Buterin set out to create a new kind of global, decentralized computing platform that takes the security and the openness of blockchains and extends those attributes to a vast variety of applications. Now, you can write financial tools, you can write games, you can write complex databases, in fact, all of that's already been written on Ethereum. Right now, there are literally hundreds of thousands of applications written on the Ethereum platform because the scripting language is there. And, uh, and the applications are only limited by the imagination of the developer. Ethereum can be used to codify, decentralize, and to secure and trade just about anything. Uh, in fact, all these non-fungible tokens are written on top of the Ethereum platform. Now, and now if you are going to mine the Ethereum networks, which means that you're going to validate the blockchain, uh, you, you are going to basically host that distributed network. You're going to do, do the calculations and you'll be paid in Ether. And so Ethereum-based apps also are used for smart contracts. So smart contracts, like regular contracts, uh, uh, like regular paper contracts, establish the terms of, a, of an arrangement between parties. But unlike old-fashioned contracts, smart contracts automatically execute without the need of any kind of intermediary. As soon as the conditions are met by, by analyzing the blockchain, the contract executes. So it's a smart contract that's just baked in. Now, he started uh, Ethereum with an, what they call an initial coin offering, an ICO, in 2014. And that was the second public coin, coin offering ever. The first one was, with, uh, was, of course, with Bitcoin. And that was the second one. If you had bought 100 Ethers at the time, they'd have cost you about $30. And today, they would be worth uh, $337,000. So... You know, you uh, $30 would have go to $337,000. is not bad. Now, Buterin contributed as a developer uh, uh, to other open source projects, too, because he's, he's basically a hacker. 
you know, I talked about hackers last week. He wants to make the world a better place by, by, by changing things with hacking. So he, he contributed to the Dark Wallet by Cody Wilson. He contributed to the Bitcoin Python libraries. He was a major Bitcoin contributor. And uh, he contributed to the cryptocurrency market, marketplace, Agora. Now, Ether is now the second largest cryptocurrency in market capitalization. It's, got, it's worth $376 billion, and it's after the Bitcoin market. It's smaller than Bitcoin's market share. It's also, get this, Ethereum market cap is more valuable than corporations like Nestle, corporations like the Walt Disney Company, or even the Bank of America, if you can imagine that. Now, with the exponential growth of decentralized finance, non-fungible tokens, and stablecoin and the stablecoin ecosystem, Ethereum prices have increased by more than 320% since the beginning of 2021. Now, Buterin holds 333,000 Ethers. They are currently worth $1.1 billion wow. as of May 5th, 2021, when Ether's price was $3,374. Now, Buterin donates. He's, he's donating to charity. He donated about $600,000 to uh, a vaccine maker for uh, COVID-19 relief, uh, for covid uh, 19 relief in India. So he's really a good guy, but he wasn't really seeking seeking the money. But Ether, Ethereum is actually something I think that's got a long-term potential because as more and more applications are put on this platform, I think the Ethers are going to go up. I mean, if, if I were going to bet on a cryptocurrency, I would bet on Ether because it's a distributed blockchain that actually has purpose real purpose. Now, let me talk just, let me, uh, well, I'm kind of going along. Let me talk about it's okay. people, people just say, well, they, they say, well, you can't, you know, that you can't invest in cryptocurrency. There's no intrinsic value. So intrinsic value means what, what, what is something worth, you know, intrinsically. And the intrinsic value of cryptocurrencies is nothing because they're just a string of zeros and ones. That's it. Um, so, uh, to ex but they have extrinsic value. So let me explain it like this. If you would have a house located out in the country, it would have an intrinsic value, how much it costs to build the house and how much land it was on. You'd have an intrinsic value to it. Now, if you would take that same house uh, and the same block of land and then put it near a, um, say, a metro stop and maybe near a shopping district, uh, in an area where you had very good schools, then people would say, wow, I want a house in that area. So there's an extrinsic value to the real estate, which is based on where the real estate is. But the intrinsic value of the house is the same. It costs the same amount to build the house. You got the same land. And so the intrinsic value of real estate is, so if, the, if you got a crash in real estate because all of a sudden the location isn't worth anything, the intrinsic value of the house is still there. It costs so much to build it. Um, and so that's, there is a difference between intrinsic and extrinsic value. But I think cryptocurrencies, because they're limited and they're scarce, they tend to be, uh, they tend to have extrinsic value. So that's the difference. Well, listen, that's all you want to know about, uh, about Vitalik Buterin. And, uh, and I think you can learn a little bit about Ethereum. Yep. I hope you did. Because we're going to quiz you coming up. It's not a quiz, though, Doc, right? It's an assessment. No. 
an assessment. assessment. Exactly. Yep. And but there's a prize beyond a gold star. So stay tuned for the pop quiz on Tech Talk, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, 104.5 FM in Loudoun County, and southwest of DC on 107.7 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you. It's your turn now. Thank you. You're soaking up the applause. I just love all this applause. And of course, this is a a classroom of the airways, not merely a radio show. And we have to assess whether our audience has learned anything with a with an assessment tool, which we call a pop quiz. Now, if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's show, and you'll also get a couple of tickets to fine dining at one of our Stratford University dining rooms when they open after the pandemic, which is, I believe, coming shortly. I just have to wait to see what the final decision by the governor will be. Uh-huh. Now, early in the show, I talked about uh, Vitalik Buterin, he, of course, Vitalik Buterin, I should say, is uh, he, of course, is the inventor of Ethereum. Where did the name Ethereum come from? If you know the answer to today's question, pick up the phone, give us a call. If you're dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Still waiting for your COVID shot east to Playa del Shirts, Virginia? It's 877-936-9333. If you're filling out your spreadsheet in... Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. Sanitized hourly using pre-moistened Rain-X wipes. It's ringing today. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. 
Yes, sir. Nine, 97% of the people who are using uh, operating system 14.5 on the iPhone are choosing not to be tracked. Now, this is an early look at, app, at Apple's app tracking transparency. And uh, this is data as of uh, April 26th. Now, according to that survey, just 4% of the iPhone users have chosen to opt in for tracking, and 96% uh, 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 chose not to have tracking. Now, of international, of international um, uh, users of the iPhone, 12% opted to be tracked, and 88% opted not to be tracked. Every single app that you open up on the iPhone after the installation of uh, for, uh, version 14.5 is going to ask you, do you want to be tracked? And Americans are overwhelmingly say that they do not want to be tracked, and especially by Facebook, by Google, and by all of these other tech giants, because these guys are just taking your data and selling it. And I think it's about time for us to take our data back. That's really good news. Should we go on to the app of the week? Word well, three, what three words, Jim? We, we should because we don't have a winner. And since we're getting so late, why don't we ask the question one more time so we can okay. uh, hopefully get the lines Who, ringing here. Of course, uh, uh, Vitalik, Vitalik, uh, Vitalik Buterin invented Ethereum. Where did the word Ethereum come from? All right, and that so let's talk. Wait, yes. That phone number once again is eight seven seven nine three six nine three three three. You're getting your money's worth out of him today. So let's talk about what three words. This is a very uh, a very simple app. It, it was invented by a guy uh, who who used to be uh, a a concert organizer. And he would have to, uh, you know, have bands. He'd have to deliver bands and equipment to, you know, to concert venues. He'd be out in the countryside in fields. I mean, he, could, he was, could never find the right location. He said, there's got to be a better way to identify locations. And he figured out that if you take and divide the earth up into three meter by three meter squares, that you could simply uh, assign a three-word combo to each one of those three-by-three-meter three squares in the entire world, and there were enough words to do it. You could actually do it with only 25,000 words. And uh, you, you, you have a triplet of 25,000 words. You actually have enough triplets to cover the entire world. So they put together a program that actually assigned three words to every three-by-three-meter square. I mean... It's a very clever idea, and, and in the app, the app you can download to an iPhone and Android phone is called What Three Words. For instance, the, the front door at Downing Street in London, the three words that, that indicate that location, slurs.this.shark. Now, the three words that indicate the center of the White House, metals.rated.purely. The three words that indicate the Washington Monument, thick.odds.lift. Now, this is why this is so clever. Okay, two people have the What Three Words app, and you are walking around Washington, D.C., all over the mall, and it's just crowded. Maybe it's an inauguration, and you're trying to find your friend. And they say, well, I'm, you know, so far from the Washington Monument, here I am. But, you know, how can you really pin it down? You can simply open up the What Three Words app, 
and through the uh, GPS of your phone, it will tell you what three words you're standing on. You send those what three words to your friend and they put those three words into the what three words app and it will, and they have a choice. It will, they can get to you with a compass. The compass will, will they can just follow the compass needle and will come right to you. Or you can put it into ways if they're, if you're driving or you can put it into, uh, you know, Apple navigation or Google navigation and you can navigate there and it's, or you could call an Uber you can put it in the Uber app, and the Uber will come to you right where you are. So you can find somebody. Think think if you were out hiking in the woods. You, know, you have to have cell phone connection. Yeah. If you're out hiking in the woods, and you, and you lost your party, and you want to tell them where you are, you just send them, what, three words. I think this is powerful. This has been used all over uh, the world for, you know, uh, address. Like if you've got uh, a developing country, and you've got a crowded city, and they don't have an address system, you, you can use what three you can use three words to define an address within the city. Now, this this was actually used uh, used uh, for um, you know for a number of applications. They, they used it to find some lost hikers in Scotland. They've used it to locate people. So it's extremely good. What three words? It's an extremely good thing. Now there, there's controversy. These guys did not make it open source technology. They kept it proprietary. Uh, they used culturally insensitive words when they picked their 25,000 words, as you would expect in this day and age. And, uh, and, they, uh, and they're trying to make money on it. Uh, and people said, look, you should make this. It's such a great service to the world. You should make it open source. You should make it nonprofit. But with a, other than that objection, I think it's a fantastic product. You know, Doug, we still don't have a winner. Uh, ask the question one more time, and maybe I will throw out an alternative question. Okay, so very good. Go ahead. Yeah, what? where did the word Ethereum come from? Okay, and I, I have an alternate question. When he was a child, he developed a fascination for a specific uh, program on the computer. If you, if you could tell me what that was, uh, calls at 877-936-9333. Now, I, uh, I've been talking about cryptocurrency so much. Uh, you know, I'm not really advocating people buy them. I'm not an investment counselor no. here at great, all. Great. On uh, the other hand, I just disclaimer. love talking about them. But uh, you can actually buy these cryptocurrencies with apps on your phone. I'm going to give you five apps that you can use that have pretty good security, that have excellent security. And then you can... You can play around with them. You've got some mad money. Put put $10 in. Just kind of play around with this. They are kind of fun. So uh, there are five of them. The first one is Binance, B-I-N-A-N-C-E. That's the largest crypto trading market uh, app in volume. It's got a good reputation of being safe. It supports more than 200 cryptocurrencies. And it has uh, it stores the assets. Uh, it actually has a security fund. They call it a secure asset fund for users. It's a cold wallet, not connected to the internet, that has 10% of all the trading fees that Binance collects. See, a cold wallet is, is something that's disconnected from the internet, so it can't be hacked. Now, it's available both on iOS and Android. Uh, another one that's gotten a lot of press recently, it's one I like the best, Coinbase. I, that's my favorite. Coinbase has a smaller variety of coins, but offers a number of safety features. And it offers $5 in Bitcoin every time you, you sign up, every, for every new user who signs up. Now, they support Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, 
basic attention token, USD coin, uh, uh, to name a few. They also, and they, it only requires that you link it to your bank account or debit card. And it offers uh, small tools, smart tools that update you on coin performance. And um, it's very easy to use. It's very easy to buy and sell cryptocurrency. Then, of course, you've heard about Robinhood. Robinhood is used for both cryptocurrency as well as stock trading. And it's, uh, it has a very user-friendly interface. They, they, and it's, uh, there, and there, you know, a lot of Reddit users use, use Robinhood. And, um, I mean, they, you know, the, they, they, they drove the price of Dogecoin up recently. And I, I don't recommend Dogecoin. That's kind of a flunky deal. I recommend Ethereum <laughs> because it has a purpose. Not that I think you should buy right. anything. It was heavy in but the news they, this week. But they support <laughs> I'm just I'm just a physicist. I'm not a finance guy. Right. They, they Good now point. they support Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Dogecoin. Then there's Sophie is the fourth one we're going to talk about. They they um, they're not just a cryptocurrency trading app, but they offer also offer stocks. It's more like an all-in-one finance management app for investing, banking, credit cards. Sophie offers crypto stocks, fractional shares exchange-traded funds, IPOs, debit cards, credit monitoring. Uh, so uh, Sophie's available both on iOS and Android, and, and it's, it's very secure. It's got automated investing as well and algorithms to protect your performance. The last one is Gemini. Now, Gemini is, a, um, is an exchange that was founded by the Winklevoss twins. Remember them? Yeah. These are yes. These are the guys that Mark uh, that Mark uh, Zuckerberg shafted in the beginning of uh, Facebook. So to, at, that's their story. Uh -huh. That it was really their idea and he stole it. So the Winklevoss twins have been famous going back to the the age. So they they founded the Gemini Exchange, and it's probably the most secure. All of your um, all of your assets are stored in cold wallets, which means they're not connected to the internet. And this is the first crypto exchange that that has that's gotten the SOC one type one, SOC two type two certifications. That's very high level certification. So Gemini Security is probably the best in the crypto industry. So there you go. These and they they also have applications on both iOS as well as Android. So it's Binance. Coinbase, Robinhood, Sophie, and Gemini. If you want to get into some of that action, there's how you do it. Okay, let's do this real fast, Doc. We've got somebody who'd like to play the game. Let's go to line one. This is Thomas calling from Bowie. Thomas, good morning. How are you? Thomas, you there? Fine. Good. Yeah. Okay, Doc, ask the question. Good morning, Thomas. Uh, uh, earlier I talked about uh, Ethereum. Where did the name Ethereum come from? Science fiction books. Yep. There you oh, go. Well done, good. Thomas. Brief and to the point. Thank oh, you, sir. Oh, don't go Appreciate away. Thanks, that. Yeah, don't go away. You got the wrong Thomas. Oh. Oh. Hello. A different Thomas. Okay. This yeah. is Tom. Oh, Tom. Okay. All right. Thank, hey, uh, hey, thanks for listening and thanks for playing. Yeah, All right, Doc. Good. We can make the music go away. And we'll continue on with the show. Over the solar winds hack. Um... Now, the U.S. officials have formally blamed Russia for hacking one of the worst espionage hacks in recent U.S. history, and they've imposed sanctions. In a joint advisory, the National Security Agency, the FBI, the Cybersecurity Information Security Agency, 
that CISA, and, uh, said that the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service carried out the supply chain attack on customers of the network management software from SolarWinds. So what they did, they infected SolarWinds, and then when SolarWinds provided updates to all of their 18,000 clients, their 18,000 clients got infected. That's why it's called a supply chain hack. Now, the operation infected SolarWinds software and bill distributions used and used to push backdoor updates. In other words, they, they installed backdoors on these systems to about 18,000 customers. Hackers also sent payloads to about 10 U.S. federal agencies and about 100 private organizations. NSA says Russia state hackers use VMware to penetrate the networks, and they and they uh, basically basically penetrated a number of, of VPN software programs. Uh, VMware Workspace, Citric Applications, Pulse Secure VPN, Cinecore Zimbra, Collaboration Suite, Fort, Fortigate VPN. These were all, all the. Now, the U.S. Treasury imposed sanctions. These measures include new prohibitions on Russian sovereign debt and sanctions on six Russian-based firms that the Treasury Department said were uh, actually supported by the Russian intelligence service. This is the most damning statement that the government has made about, about this, uh, this hack. And this was one of the most uh, pervasive hacks that we've had and a huge, huge uh, breakdown in our security system. And I think this sort of portends of the kind of cybersecurity warfare we're ha gonna have going forward. Listen, I tell you, Jim, I've just been having a lot of fun playing with my drone all week. Have you now? Yeah, I've been making movies now. Now oh, I can I can actually make movies. They 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 I can actually add music to my movies from within the uh, the drone app. I can edit the movies. We'll have to show them on I air can, one morning. Oh hmm? wait, it's radio. Yeah, I can. Well, I can. Well, I can play the music on the radio. I, I, so people can listen to it. Uh -huh. But I'm just having the and I and I can run. Uh, and I can speed up the motion. I can, uh, you know, I can have, uh, you know, I, I can change the speed of the video. The, the, it, it's all kinds of things I can do. I just love it. And it's just a great, great time. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the website, stratford.edu. Check out our programs and tell them if you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.